Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and I uh, hope everybody had a fun Christmas for those of you that celebrate Christmas uh, and just a great holiday so far. And hopefully you're getting to take a little break and spend some time with family and friends or, you know, maybe just kind of get away and uh, have a little vacation. Either way, hopefully you're having a good time and hopefully you're staying safe and getting ready for New Year's Eve. And today, uh, as kind of promised before, we're going to do a New Year's Eve show. And I talked about doing some news along with that this week, but there's just a lot of things I would like to do in New Year's Eve show. And there's really nothing super pressing in the news, but one thing, and I'll get to that here in a second. So I think I'm going to put the news off till next week and we'll just focus the entire show today on New Year's resolutions. Uh, and by that, I mean, I'm going to run through maybe a list of of 10 big categories. And of course there's going to be a lot of subcategories, uh, run through a lot of different things that I would challenge you to do in this next year. These are basically going to be some of my top security and privacy tips and, uh, why they're important and why I consider them some of my top tips. And it'll, you know, give you a little, little gentle nudge and see if you can set some time aside for this, these things for the coming year. You know, maybe you can, uh, you know, kind of plot them out, you know, don't, you don't have to do them all at once. Uh, you could kind of stretch them out over the year. Maybe, you know, set some goals once a month, do one or two of these things. And some of them will be kind of timely. Well, well, you'll see when I get, uh, get to these in a minute, what I mean by that. And, uh, you know, so for the next year, try to force yourself or, you know, if, or if you've been really good about all these things and you've actually done most of these things yourself, then maybe take some time to help a friend or a family member, uh, to work through some of these things, maybe somebody who might have a harder time doing these things or is much more of a procrastinator or, you know, maybe doesn't see the value that you do, you know, but if you did them for them, they'd be happy to let you do that. So anyway, a few different ideas there, how you might take some of these suggestions. One thing I will say, and I, I doubt this affects many of you, but uh, you may have seen this on news, but even if you haven't, uh, there is an app called um, TuTalk. I think it's how you pronounce it. T-O-T-O-K. Uh, that's capital T, little O, capital T, little OK. Um, so I think it's supposed to be like to talk or something like that. And it's a messaging app, and it's, I think, created by the United Arab Emirates. So that, <laughs> that might be your first warning sign. But apparently this app has been basically proven to be nothing more than a spying app for the UAE. And uh, so for some reason, you happen to be one of the millions of people who have downloaded and started using this app and have not gotten the memo, uh, this is an app you're going to want to just delete. Find something else. Uh, I personally would recommend Signal. Uh, and I'll talk about that more here when we get into my uh, New Year's resolution tips. And of course, I'm still working on some interviews, as always, and uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end as well. But for now, let's get into my New Year's resolution tips for 2020. <laughs> All right, so this is my list of, you know, pseudo top 10 list of things that I think would make for good New Year's resolutions for 2020. And I th I'll probably make this a, an ongoing thing. And I wanted to kind of get together, you know, obviously the book has like 150 different tips in it. And I couldn't cover that all in one episode. And, you know, I, and I don't want to even try. Um, the book is the book and this is different. So I wanted to kind of, you know, pull together some maybe the top, top 10-ish Tips with some little sub tips uh, for things that I think would be would make for good New Year's resolutions. Things to put on your to do list for the next uh, calendar year that would make your cybersecurity and your online privacy that much better. And you know, maybe you've done a lot of these already. Maybe you've actually done most of them, and in which case, that's great. 
Uh, and in that case, you know, maybe what you want to do is you, your resolution is to help other people to do these things, you know, friends and family members who, you know, either don't have the technical chops or interest or don't think it's as important as you do, but would be willing to let you do it for them. You know, if somebody were to do the effort, um, it, you know, the, the more people that, that have these kind of things taken care of, the better off we'll all be. So this is, this is sort of my wish list for you of things, you know, if I could just kind of pick some top things that I think everybody should definitely try to get done. These are, this, this is a smattering. This is a little smorgasbord of, of tips and ideas that, uh, that I would wish for everybody listening to this podcast to accomplish in the next year or so. All right. First up, and this should be no surprise. Uh, and that is to use a password manager. If you have resisted all this time, uh, and still insist on using passwords that you make up yourself and that you can remember. This is this is a big one. This is one. This is one you really you just need to do. Um, it's one of those things that it, it that's really really increases your security. And because people reuse their passwords so much these days, it's become an automated thing. Like the bad guys, it's it's not even the bad guys saying, okay, I you know I I went to the dark web and I I downloaded all these you know user accounts and passwords that were cracked. Uh, and I'm going to myself by hand, go try some bank accounts or try some medical accounts or email accounts and see if I can use those passwords somewhere else for these same people and see if I can get in. There's no humans doing this anymore. This is all automated. They've, they, somebody's got, got tired of doing this by hand and as hackers and software engineers are apt to do, uh, they wrote a script, they wrote some sort of software that does it for them. So they, it's all automated. So if you used a password on, on some site that was breached and that password was cracked. It was, in other words, it was a poor enough password that a computer program was able to basically guess that password. Then they already have tools that will take all the cracked passwords they could find. And, you know, most people's user IDs now are their email addresses. It's, you know, so, so they don't even have to guess your user ID. It's probably the same everywhere. It's your email address or the one you use for your uh, user IDs everywhere you sign up for an account. And, they just, it's automated. Some computer somewhere just goes to all these websites and takes all these passwords and just keeps trying them until, until one of them works. And it just notes and records which ones worked and which ones didn't on which sites. And, you know, every day or so the, 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 the hacker goes in and looks at the list. Oh, okay. Here's some, here's a, here's some accounts that I can get into now. And sometimes I don't even use them. Sometimes they just turn around and sell them. Like there's, there's, they don't have time to do that. So they just turn around on the dark web and, and sell these to somebody else to exploit. So my point being <laughs> that, we are way past the, the the place where you can expect to be secure reusing a couple passwords on all your sites because as soon as that password is compromised, as soon as somebody figures it out, the bad guys in very short order will try that password everywhere else they can. And if you use that password somewhere else, and you're probably if you're not using a password manager, then you probably are using it in more than one place. All those other accounts are the same places those places where passwords are used are now vulnerable. And I guess what I'm talking about, let me take this opportunity one more time. I've explained this in the past, but the way passwords work on these databases and these breaches, if they're done correctly, is they don't actually store your password. So if your password was go boilers, um, you know, and somebody, let's say that was on Yahoo and somebody breached Yahoo and downloaded their password database in that password database is not the text go boilers. Um, what they do, and this is, this is only smart is they take a, um, a cryptographic hash of Go Boilers, those G-O-B-O-I-L-E-R-S, maybe even with an exclamation point, right? You know, to take those, those letters, those characters, they run them through what's called a cryptographic hash. And what comes out looks like gobbledygook. But 
if you put in the same text, you're going to get out the exact same gobbledygook. So what they do is they kind of obfuscate your password that way. So you enter Go Boilers, they hash it to some crazy, weird, long string uh, that will always match that password, always match Go Boilers, and they store that in their database. And then when you go to log in, you type in Go Boilers, and then it's hashed again in the exact same way, and then the two hashes are compared. Because as I said, if you put in the same letters, you'll get the exact same hash out. But it's really, really hard to go in the reverse direction. In other words, if all you have is the hash, trying to figure out what English words or whatever characters may, you know, cause that hash to be created is really difficult. Unless your password was really bad to begin with and it was guessable. Um, if, you're, if you have a really bad password, they can, what they do is they just compute all the hashes for, for all the, you know, the, the top 1,000 or top 10,000 cracked passwords that people use. And then they have all the computed hashes. And now they can just com compare all the hashes and find anybody who uses Go Boilers. They'll be able to find it because they'll be able to find the hash for Go Boilers. Anyway, so I know that was a little bit technical. But just wanted, to un wanted you to understand that your passwords really aren't stored as passwords, which is why it's important that they be good passwords, that they really be hard to guess. Because if they're hard to guess, the hash that they produce will be basically impossible to reverse engineer. Impossible because to brute force it, to actually take that hash and try to figure out what characters, what password characters created that hash is, is a brute force effort. That's like, is it A? No. Is it B? No. Is it C? No. Blah, blah, blah. Is it AA? No. Is it AB? No. Is it AC? No. And forever and ever. And guessing every possible permutation of characters to figure out until they find the, ha you know, until they find the hash of those characters that matches their password. And if you have a long enough password, like 12 characters or more, even with super crazy supercomputers, that we have today, and even figuring, you know, that we're going to create even better ones over the next 10, 10 or 20 years, it would still take centuries in a lot of cases to brute force guess a really good password. So coming back, coming back to the tip that, so that that's all why this is important. So you don't want to create your own passwords. If you can remember what it is, then it's probably also easy to guess. So uh, what you want to do is you want to get a password manager. And I always recommend LastPass. There are others, and you're welcome to look at others. There's 1Password and Dashlane and RoboForm. There's, there's some others that are decent too. Um, I just prefer personally LastPass. So if you sign up for LastPass, it's free. Uh, the basic stuff is free. And there is a pro version if you want to support them a little bit and just pay them some money, or if you want to use some of the pro features like a family plan and some of these other kind of things, which you could read about on the LastPass website. Uh, they're, cool, they're cool features. I, I use them, but you don't have to. If you want to just start, you can get by with just the free account to start with. And then once you have that, you want, you'll need to do a couple things. So first of all, what you're probably doing now is letting your browser, you know, Safari, Firefox, Chrome, uh, or whatever, Edge, you, you're, you're letting your browser remember your passwords and fill them in for you automatically because it's just super convenient, right? Uh, but the problem is those browsers are really not super secure. Um, they're not as secure, certainly, as like LastPass would be. So you've got a whole, now, so what you probably do is you probably have a bunch of passwords saved in your browser, browsers remembering them for them, and you don't want to do that anymore. So you're going to need to import into LastPass whatever passwords are saved by your browser so you don't have to you know retype them all uh, to make keep things simple and you'll have to go to the LastPass site because it depends on what browser you're using and how you do that but if you look for import uh, on the LastPass website or whatever password manager you use there should be a way for any given browser to have LastPass suck in all the stuff that your browser has already saved and just save you the effort of having to retype them all in uh, so I would suggest you do that first. And then once you get that done, uh, I recommend that you turn off the autosave feature on your browser. Uh, and then, not only that, 
you want to delete the passwords that it has saved because it's really not as secure as LastPass. So it's possible that, you know, somebody could get in there and steal those passwords. So again, depends on which browser you're in. You'll need to kind of look this up a little bit. Um, but what you want to do again, you want to import everything out of your browser. If your browser has been saving your passwords so far, import those into LastPass, make sure they still work with LastPass, disable the saving and remembering of passwords in your browser. That's going to be in your browser settings. Uh, and then you want to clear any saved passwords that the browser already has. Uh, I would make sure the LastPass is working for you first before you do that. Uh, and then once you feel that it's working well, then you can delete the stuff from your browser. Okay, so let's let's recap. So you have chosen your password manager. Let's say it was LastPass. You've downloaded LastPass, which probably means you've installed the plugin for LastPass in your browser. Uh, now, there is a universal LastPass installer that will attempt to First of all, install a LastPass application on your computer, um, which you don't really need, but it can be handy. And then that same installer will try to find every browser that you have on your computer, and you may have more than one, and try to install the proper plugin for LastPass for each of those browsers. But you don't have to do that. What you really, only really need to do is whatever browser you use the most, whatever your favorite browser is, go to the add-ons or the tools section or the extensions section, uh, find LastPass and install that plugin. And then that'll, that'll start you with the process. You'll have to sign up for a free account um, and so on and so forth. So once you get that done, the next thing you're going to want to do is import any existing passwords you have saved in that browser. And again, you'll have to, depending on your browser and your operating system, you may have to uh, just search on LastPass help uh, and there'll be, you'll, there'll be a help article that'll help you, that'll tell you how to, to, to work through that process. So that way you don't have to really type in all those again, all the ones that your browser remembered. Now LastPass will remember. The next thing you want to do is turn off the automatic saving of passwords in your browser. Um, so in Chrome or Edge or Safari or Firefox, find the setting where it remembers um, passwords. If you want, you might be able to say you can remember form fills and things like that, like your address and things. But LastPass can do that too. I would actually just say stop all of that uh, and let, let LastPass do all that for you. And finally... Uh, once you're convinced that the, the LastPass is now working well for you and you go to these sites and LastPass is filling in your passwords for you, uh, then just remove all the saved passwords in your browser because they're really not really not safe there. All right, so that was a, that's a big one. <laughs> if you do if you do nothing else, that's really a great first step. Uh, there's one other thing that I think is almost crucial, but we'll get to that next. The other bonus things you can do at this point, I would certainly, you could run LastPass Security Challenge. Uh, you go to your vault, you go to your LastPass vault, which you've just set up, and there's a little thing in there called Security Challenge. And it will go through and it will tell you all the different places that, say, that are using the exact same password or where the passwords are really bad. Um, so that, that might be your first step, just to kind of giving yourself the next to-do list of all the things you need to change because you really need to go and create totally random long, strong passwords and LastPass will do this for you and save them for you. So you'll never have to remember them. The only password you should ever have to remember is your master password. Uh, after that, you shouldn't, you shouldn't even know any of your other passwords because they'll be impossible to remember. They'll be too crazy to remember. Most websites will accept a 20 character password. So I'd probably go, you know, set your options at 20 characters, make sure they contain upper, lower number and symbols and generate 20 character crazy passwords for all your important sites. And that would be uh, medical, certainly financial, of course, uh, any insurance stuff that you might log into any government stuff like IRS or social security and 
social media and email. Those are really important as well. Um, if somebody can commandeer your social media accounts, they can get up to all sorts of mischief and pretend to be you and trick other people into doing things because they think they're you that they shouldn't be doing. And also email. And the reason email is so important is because today, currently, the way most of us recover an account if we've forgotten our password is to have them email you a link to reset your password. So if the bad guys get control of your email account, if I was a bad guy, first thing, first thing I would do if I got access, let's say, to your Gmail account, is I would try to find every place that you might have an account on the web and say, oops, I forgot my password. Please send me a link to reset my password. And of course, that's got to go to your Gmail account, which the bad guy, me in this case, is looking at. And I will then use that link to reset it to some password that I want. And now all of a sudden you're locked out of your bank account or you're locked out of some, you know, whatever account that, uh, that I tried to reset. So email is important too. So email, financial, medical, government, all those kind of things, including social media, those are the ones you want to start with. Make sure you get really good passwords on those. Uh, and then the real bonus, the super bonus, and this really does take your security just that much higher, is set up two-factor authentication for every one of those that you can. Not all of them support it yet, uh, but for the ones that do, that is a really great second level of security. Now, it's a, you know what that means is that every time you log into one of these accounts from someplace new, like and, and the first time you log in from anywhere, it's going to be quote unquote new because you, once you turn on two-factor authentication, you know it's going to challenge you basically every time you log in to, from someplace it doesn't recognize. And then so from those from those places, it's going to say, hey, okay, fine, I got your username or password. Now give me your two-factor authentication token or PIN or whatever. And it's usually like a six-digit number. And uh, some of them will be set up uh, via text message, which isn't great. It's it's okay. It's better. It's way better than nothing. Uh, so you might get a text message, you know, that with your six-digit PIN. But the best way to do it is use a one-time uh, one-time PIN number thing. It's a rolling PIN number that's generated automatically by an application that you run on your phone. Uh, and the one I recommend for that, Google Authenticator, is kind of like the industry standard. Everybody uses that, but it's really a it's Google, but uh, uh, b it's got a really clunky way of saving your codes so that if you ever lose your phone or get a new phone to transfer your two-factor authentication codes, which you'll need one of these per site to your new phone is a real pain in the butt to do with Google Authenticator. So the one I usually recommend is Authy, A-U-T-H-Y. Uh, it's very easy to use. It's very handy. LastPass actually has its own Authenticator app. It's, you know, There's an app, LastPass app which has your vault and all your passwords in it. There's actually a separate LastPass app called uh, LastPass Authenticator that works just like Google Authenticator, works just like Authy. Um, and the way these things work is when you set up the two-factor authentication, and it may just say, you know, do you want to use Google Authenticator? Well, if anything that uses Google Authenticator can also use Authy or can also use LastPass Authenticator. The way they all work is they will show you this little QR code, which is those little, you know, square UPC-looking kind of codes. And with the Authenticator app, you will... Uh, scan that image with your phone, your phone's camera, uh, using the app, and it will, as soon as it sees that QR code, now it's suddenly in sync, and it will generate a number for you. And then you'll, and then the the two-factor authentication settings on whatever you're setting this up on will say, okay, we're in sync now, but just to be sure, enter the six-digit pin that your app is now showing you for this site, and make sure that we're in sync. So you'll enter that to confirm. And assuming it's all good, uh, now you've got it. And from here on out, whenever you want to log into to that account from someplace new, you'll need your smartphone and you'll need to enter a PIN. So you'll enter your username and password, and then it will challenge you for a two-factor authentication code. And you'll open up the app. You'll find, let's say it's Twitter. 
uh, and you'll go to the Twitter account under Authy or whatever app you end up choosing, and it will show you a six-digit code that will... It's, they're usually good for like 30 seconds. And there's usually a little countdown timer showing you when it's about to expire. Uh, and so you'll enter that six-digit code before it expires, and then you'll hit enter, and now you're in. So it, it's a two-factor. It took two different things for you to get into that account, your password and this PIN code. And the reason why that is such an amazingly secure way of doing things is... Uh, sometimes bad guys figure out how to bypass password authentication. Uh, even if you've got a great password, sometimes they figure a way around that and they can kind of fool the system into letting them in even without a password. But if you've got this second factor, now there's a second thing they have to defeat. It wasn't good enough just to guess your password or to somehow bypass password authentication. Now they also have to have your smartphone, basically, because without that's where your app is running and that's where the codes are being generated, which means you have to have it too every time you log in from someplace new. But they would have to have your phone as well and have to be able to get into your phone. So it's not even sufficient to steal your phone. They would have to be able to get into your phone to get that passcode as well. It's much, much harder to do and certainly a lot harder to do remotely. Uh, they would actually have to be, you know, have to steal your phone. So, you know, some hacker in Russia or China or whatever is not going to be able to do that. So that, in a nutshell, that's that's where you want to be with your passwords. You want, you want to have a password manager because it's going to generate crazy passwords that there's no way in hell you'll ever remember, which is exactly what you want. Crazy random passwords, long passwords, at least 20 characters. Uh, and it'll remember them all for you, and it will fill them in for you on your web browser. And by the way, if you have more than one computer, then you just install LastPass on that computer, and the vault will, in a very super secure way, synchronize through the cloud so you have access to your passwords on any computer you have, uh, and any smartphone. You can put it on your smartphone as well. Uh, to help you enter your passwords uh, on your browsers, on your smartphones, and your tablets. And then the real kicker is setting up two-factor authentication. And again, not every site supports it yet, but for the ones that do, that is a really, really great way to make sure that your accounts stay secure. All right, one more little pro tip is when you're doing the setup of these things, so uh, you're setting up two-factor authentication. So uh, the settings, let's say you're, again, you're on Twitter or, or Google or whatever, and it shows you the QR code on your computer screen, and then you have to scan that with your phone. If you print that page that contains the QR code, just physically print, like on paper, and then stash that in a folder somewhere, Authy, if you use Authy and set up an account with Authy, they should be backing up all of your QR code things to the cloud so that if you ever lose your phone or get a new phone, you can download those securely uh, and you'll be fine. But as a total other backup for that, if you have a printed copy of that QR code physically in your house somewhere, you can go back and actually scan that code again from a new phone uh, or from a restored phone or whatever to set up that two-factor again. That code will still work in the future. So that's I do that personally because I've been burned by this before. <laughs> so anyway, so if you just print those off, you have to buy 11 sheet of paper, write on the paper what it is if it's not obvious, and stash that in a folder somewhere. Uh, you'll be able to set up your two-factor codes at some point in the future if something goes wrong. And that includes, by the way, if you get hit by a bus and, you know, and, and your your relatives, your spouse, your children or whatever somehow need to get into those accounts, if they can find those QR codes, then they can set up uh, the two-factor for themselves as well. Okay, that was tip one. <laughs> that was a big one. There was a lot of explanation there. The rest, of the, the rest of these will go faster, I hope. Okay, so number two, the other big thing, uh, especially with ransomware being as bad as it is, my second tip, back up everything. Make sure you've got a backup of your computer files, the ones that you can't replace. You know, that'd be, you know, pictures, family pictures, family videos, 
you know, things like music and, and even store-bought videos, those you can usually replace. In fact, usually if you bought those online, then you can get to them from any computer. You know, the cloud, the cloud knows that you have these things purchased and, you know, they will make them available to you that way. But if the only copy of something exists on your computer or on your phone, those are the things you really need to make sure you back up. So uh, I think the easiest thing, honestly, for people today is just to get a cloud backup. Um, and I would recommend that you use something like Backblaze, which will periodically, like I think on the hour or so, will go through and look for any of your files that have changed and upload those to the cloud. And keep it'll even keep versions. Like if for some reason you accidentally deleted a file or you uh, edited, a fi edited a file in a way that was something you didn't want and saved it on top of the old version, you could actually go and get a previous version of that file this way too. It's a great kind of a versioned backup. Um, but you sign up for these cloud services like Backblaze and you, set, and you can set your own encryption key if you'd like. And I do this because I'm paranoid. I'm a privacy, <laughs> I'm privacy paranoid. Or you can let it do it for you. But it, it, it will then upload your, your, your files, your documents. It doesn't upload everything. Like, like it won't upload your operating system or your applications or whatever, because you can just re-download those. Uh, it's going to upload the things that you couldn't replace. Mostly like if you've got a documents folder, it's basically everything in your documents folder. You know, photos, move, home movies, uh, music, dot files, tax stuff, whatever you keep in your documents folder. Uh, and it will securely encrypt those files and put them up in the cloud so that if something happens, if, if your computer dies, if your hard drive dies, if uh, it's stolen, uh, if there's some natural disaster that destroys it, you know, somewhere in the cloud is a, is a backup copy, a secure encrypted backup copy of these files. And when you get a new computer, you'll be able to download those files and you'll have them again. And with ransomware being, you know, kind of unfortunately as common as it is, as it is where the bad guys infect your computer and encrypt all your files and hold them for ransom. And like, you know, they, you have to pay them hundreds of dollars potentially or thousands if you happen to be a business of dollars to get the encryption key that would give your files back. If you already have all those files backed up, you don't need to pay. You can just get there. You can just re-download your files to a new computer. I mean, cause the one you have is probably, the one you have is probably in bad shape and I wouldn't trust it. Uh, so you might need to get a new computer, but at least you can re-download all your files uh, from your backup uh, and not have to pay for the ransom. If you happen to be a Mac owner, you can also, as a secondary thing for a local backup, you can just get a little portable USB hard drive and connect it to your Mac. Uh, and it will automatically, should automatically prompt you, hey, do you want to use this for Time Machine? And Time Machine is Apple's backup um, program. It's super easy to use, very, very seamless, just, just sits in the background, just works. And it's the same kind of way. It'll back up everything once and then it'll keep every hour or so. It'll check to see if any of those files have changed. And then it backs up any of the files that have changed. Uh, and you can then go back in time, hence the name Time Machine, and, and restore any of those files later. The nice thing about Time Machine, and this, why, and this is a good kind of, uh, kind of an, extra, an extra thing you could do. And I, to me, I really like to do both. I've got a both a cloud backup and a Time Machine backup. Uh, the Time Machine backup will back up everything. Your, your operating system, your files, everything. And the really cool thing about that is if you if you just want to get a new computer, you can you know you erase the computer you have, you you buy your new computer and hook up the time machine, and you can restore to the new Mac from the from the old from the time machine backup, and it's it's everything. It's the operating system, it's your applications, it's your data. It's just like you never left. It's like you you transported everything from your old computer to your new computer, and it should look and act ex exactly the same. So if you have a Mac, that's an, that's another great option uh, as well. And then the only cost there is just to buy uh, to buy an external hard drive. And I should I guess I should have mentioned Backblaze will charge you a monthly fee or a yearly fee. I think it's like sixty bucks a year for unlimited backup, which is 
that's plenty cheap enough for me. And you know, that for that kind of insurance, that's cheap. One other thing I'll mention that kind of works similarly, uh, is Dropbox, but don't use Dropbox. So Dropbox, the way Dropbox works is you designate a folder uh, on your computer and, and whatever you put in that folder will be backed up to the cloud and any other computer or smart device you have that you install the same software on will be able to see those exact same files. And any place you change that file will be synchronized to every place else. So for me, like I've got two personal computers at home and two work computers. And I, if I put, I'll, I'm going to keep saying Dropbox, but I'm going to recommend a better one. So if you put Dropbox, cause that's one people know, if you put, put Dropbox on all these devices, if I change a file or put a file in the folder on one device, it will show up magically on every other device. So Dropbox was great early on. I, I was a, a user of it for many years, but they've really kind of gotten pushy and they've started pushing into other things like they want to download all your pictures and, and honestly monetize these things probably. And the, the other thing about Dropbox that I don't like is it's encrypted, but they have the key, not you. So they can look through all your stuff. Uh, and of course, it's probably not a human doing that, but you know, they might be looking through your content to find out what to advertise to you. Or in some cases, they're actually looking for copyright infringement and things like that. They're, they're poking around through your stuff. I personally would rather not have that happen. So uh, I did a lot of research on this. The one I recommend you use is sync.com, S-Y-N-C.com. It works basically just like Dropbox, but the, the, the crucial thing there is with sync.com, you can set your own encryption key. And again, you can have LastPass generate that key and save that key so you'll never lose it. Uh, and then you you control the encryption, which means that they can't see your stuff. They've stored this really super encrypted blob of bits. They have no idea what's in there, but you do. Uh, and whenever you decrypt it on your devices, you can see all your files. So backup is super important. Backblaze Cloud Backup, I'd say, backup I'd say is your minimum that you want to do. If you want to augment that on a Mac, you can use Time Machine, which is great. On Windows, they've got Backup and Restore, which is kind of similar. It's just not quite as easy to use, but you can do that on Windows as well. And then you'll have a local backup, uh, which might be a little quicker, a little faster, and it's a one-time cost of just buying the USB drive. Uh, of course, the downside, again, with local backup, and that's why I recommend you do cloud for sure, is that if someone, you know, if your computer goes up in a fire, then the hard drive that's sitting right next to it is going to go up in the fire too, or flood or tornado or, or theft or whatever. So it's convenient and cheaper to have a local backup. Uh, but if you really want to cover your bases, you, you're going to want a cloud backup as well. All right, next up, uh, tip number three, and that is to secure your home network. And it's a little trickier these days because a lot of, uh, you know, cable providers um, and whatever, or even Google Fiber provide you a combination modem and Wi-Fi router all in one box. Uh, and what I would recommend you do uh, is keep it for the router purpose, keep it for the, actually keep it for the modem purpose, but then get your own Wi-Fi router. Uh, that way you have full control uh, over what that Wi-Fi router does and more to the point, your service provider, Google, Comcast, Spectrum, whoever, if they, if they own and control your Wi-Fi router as well, they can technically get to any computer in your network and view whatever you're doing on your home system. Uh, that to me is just not acceptable. So, uh, I would recommend you get your own Wi-Fi router. You can get one today for, you know, as little as like 60 or 70 bucks. If you're willing to just get a very basic one, uh, if you've got a small house and don't have a lot of demands like high definition video or something like that, these are perfectly fine. Or, you know, you can spend up to like 150 to 200 bucks for a really nice one. The one I just got myself is a Synology uh, router. It's very nice. It's about 200 bucks. Uh, S-Y-N-O-L-O-G-Y, Synology. It's very nice, but you, you don't have to spend that much money. So 
when you get the Wi-Fi router, or if you absolutely must, if you're using the one that they give you, the next thing you need to do is make sure you change the default administrator password on that box. Most of them now, except there's, there's some new California laws that are trying to prevent this, but there's still several that uh, you can buy today that just have a default password. And that default password is well known by all the hackers. Uh, and what that means is if, if there was any device, either some guest or that comes into your house with a, a dirty laptop or a dirty smartphone, they may not even know it. Uh, but once they get into your network, it's like inviting a vampire into your home. Uh, they have full power. If they can, if they can, if they have some sort of rogue app or malware running on their system that tests to see if it can get into your router and compromise your router, then you're in deep trouble because from that router, they can get to everything else on your network. Or if you download malware, sometimes this can, one of the things some of the malware will do is try to uh, compromise your Wi-Fi router. And it may not be your computer. It may be your smart TV or your smart toaster or your smart light bulb or whatever. Those things are not high security. And if those get compromised, uh, what the bad guys will often try to do is try to then compromise your Wi-Fi router from the inside. If you just use the default admin password, it'll be super easy for them to do that. So you don't want that. So you need to log into your, and every router is unfortunately different. You'll need to like look at the instructions that either came with your router uh, or go online and find the manuals for your router and find out that it'll be an IP address usually uh, that is your admin page for your Wi-Fi router. And that's where you can set up all the settings on your router. Uh, you know, what you want to call your SSID and admin password, all sorts of things. And then you need to change your admin password. And of course, if you're using LastPass, then you can generate a crazy, super strong password and then save that in LastPass. The next thing I would recommend is almost every modern router today has uh, a guest network option, which basically creates a separate Wi-Fi network with a separate Wi-Fi name or an SSID. You know, that's the thing like when you open your phone and you go to Wi-Fi and you look at all the available networks, that name listed there is your SSID. Um, and I would set up a separate guest network and literally for your guests, like if anybody comes into your house, give them the guest network password. Uh, but I would also put all your Internet of Things devices on your guest network, at least all the ones that don't that you don't have to communicate directly with uh, your computer or your or your smartphone. And most of them you don't like an Amazon Echo or uh, some Google Home uh, smart TVs. A lot of these things, all they really need to do is get to the Internet. So put them all on the guest network and that kind of keeps these insecure devices that are not very good at privacy separate from your home computer and your smartphone and your things that might have a lot of juicy data on them. So uh, put those, you know, when you're, when you're, if you have to put them on a Wi-Fi network, put them on your guest network. And one more tip, obviously for the smartphones or for the smart devices, if they don't need to be smart, then don't plug them into the internet at all. Like if you've got a smart TV, um, which almost every TV now is, and it comes with a Netflix app or an Amazon prime video app. If you've already got you know, uh, a device that lets you get to Netflix, then there's no reason for your TV to be smart at all. And these TVs are actually tattling on you today in a lot of ways. They, they record what you're watching and it's all, it's, it's really, really bad. Um, so if your smart TV doesn't need to be smart, then just don't even connect it to the internet. All right. Next up and kind of related to this is make sure you set up all your devices, uh, your computers, your smartphones, your IOT devices where possible, uh, set them to auto update, uh, at least for security updates. Uh, some of them let you get granular about the updates, you know, all updates, no matter what, or just security updates. So make sure you have them at least set to automatically update for any security updates so that you're, because bugs are found all the time. Uh, and so fixes are sent out all the time. And if you're not getting those fixes, then your devices are vulnerable. 
And one of the main ones that people don't really think about and don't often pay attention to is your Wi-Fi router. So uh, if you bought a new one or if you had one sitting around for a while, find your admin page, change your admin password, and go and look and see if there's an update for your router. And each one updates a little differently. Some, some of the modern ones will actually can be set to auto-update, like the Synology one I just talked to you about uh, will do this. Uh, and that's great. And if you can set it to auto-update, definitely do that. Uh, and you can usually set it to do it on a schedule. Uh, like I think mine is set to do it. It checks every Monday at three in the morning or something. So that way it won't interrupt you if you're, you know, using your, using the internet. But look for updates, figure out how to install that update because everyone unfortunately is a little bit different, but it's usually just a matter of, you know, clicking a button to download or clicking the update button, waiting for it to download and then waiting for your router to restart. And by the way, sometimes that is several minutes. So uh, if your router goes offline for several minutes while it's updating, don't be, don't be worried, get, let it finish. Uh, sometimes it just takes that long. All right, that was tip number four. Tip number five uh, in our my New Year's resolution wish list for you uh, is to do a spring cleaning. As I've said, basically all software has bugs. Uh, so you want to make sure first that they're updated. But second, if you're not using it something in, anymore or not using it very often or not sure if you need it, delete it. Uh, that, that's not just on your smartphone, but also on your computer. Go through and, and find any applications that you're not using uh, and if you're not using them or not sure you need them, I would just get rid of them. You can always re-download them usually and make sure, I guess, if that's the case. Um, but um, almost all software today is downloaded. So if, as long as you've got your software key uh, or whatever it is you need to prove that you bought that uh, software, you should be able to re-download that again in the future. If for some reason you realize you do need it or in the future you've changed your mind and you want to use it again. But because so many of these applications are not getting updated, they're not being supported, or frankly, some of them are just monetizing you by collecting information about you and selling it to other people. So uh, if it's something you don't need, uh, I would definitely remove it. If you do want to leave it, then make sure you change the permissions on that application to only let it access things that it absolutely needs to access. Key ones would be things like your location, your microphone, your camera, in some cases, your files, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe it's asking for access to your files when it really doesn't need it. On your smartphone, on your computer, for sure, review the permissions that you've given these applications uh, and those those permissions in particular and uh, turn off anything they don't absolutely need. On iOS, and I think on modern Android, you might be able to do this as well. Um, for example, location. You might be able to say, you can have my location, but you can only have my location when I'm actively using you. In other words, when it's the app you see on your screen, that's the foreground app. And when you're using some other app and it goes into the background, it's cut off from your location information. Uh, that's key too. So that's kind of a nice compromise. All right, next up, uh, number six uh, for my New Year's resolutions, switch to Firefox. You know, or maybe Safari. If you're on if you're on a Mac and you're only ever going to use a Mac, Safari is pretty good. Um, and the default settings of Safari are pretty good. Um, I still prefer Firefox, uh, even uh, if you can stand making a switch to something new and different, because Firefox, I think, is a little more aggressive with privacy stuff currently than Safari, though Safari is doing some great stuff, but they allow for you to do more plugins. Um, they're a little more loose with what plugins you're allowed to use. Um, for example, I don't think there's still a LastPass plugin approved for Safari. They work around it in some other really weird way that I don't like. But anyway, I, I tend to like Firefox. It works on both Windows and Mac. It works the same way. So if you've got, you know, if you're on multiple computers, it kind of it's the same kind of interface. You'll get used to it. Uh, and you can install some really good plugins. And uh, the ones I would recommend you install for sure in Firefox are uBlock Origin. Not just uBlock, uBlock Origin. They're different, and it's important. The EFF's Privacy Badger. 
those two together will block uh, almost all ads and almost all tracking. That's that's what you're really trying to do is block the tracking. And then DuckDuckGo, which is a search engine which respects your privacy. And if you install the DuckDuckGo plugin to Firefox, it will automatically change your default search engine to be DuckDuckGo and not Google, which is the current default. And similar with your smart devices and your computers, uh, while you're installing these plugins, look and see what other plugins you have installed and make sure that you need them. Um, You can disable them on a trial basis as opposed to deleting them. So if you're not sure, you could try disabling them. Use your browser for a little while and find out if it bothers you. If you run into some place like, oh, that's why I have that plugin. Um, You can just disable them for a while. And if you find that you really don't need them, then just delete them. There are a lot of plugins, unfortunately, that get up to bad things. We just recently talked about how Avast and AVG uh, antivirus tools install these plugins into your browsers and use those plugins in your browsers to basically watch everything you do on the web. Uh, And we can only presume that they're doing that because they're selling that information about you, which is just horrible. So anyway, if you don't need them, disable them first and then eventually delete them. All right, we're going fast and furious now. We're on number seven. And now we get to kind of some more lightweight ones, (laughs) some ones that are not quite uh, hard to do. Uh, but ones I think you you still want to consider to do. And uh, so number seven is to donate. Uh, and that is to give money to some of the organizations, many of which we've interviewed on the show, that are out there doing some really great work, that are that are day in and day out, you know, you know filing lawsuits, filing Freedom of, of Information Act requests, doing public outreach and, and coming up with these really great guides and blogs and, and, and things that help keep us more secure and safe. They're doing great work and... If they're doing it right, then they're probably, you know, nonprofit organizations that aren't taking money from big corporations. So they're, you know, keeping clean and they're not being influenced in a negative way. But that means they need your money. So uh, I actually have a web uh, blog article that I try to keep up to date called Give Thanks and Donate uh, on firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. If you go there, that'll uh, show you some of these organizations and uh, take you directly to their donate pages. Um, but, you know, some of the ones I would recommend, and feel free to pick your own, but some of the ones that I, you know, would throw out there, if you haven't heard of them, maybe are the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the EFF, uh, the Electronic Privacy Information Center, or EPIC, uh, the ACLU, and of course, they do a lot more than just uh, online privacy stuff. But, you know, so, you know, you may find that they, you might find that being a political thing. So, you, you know, maybe you're not as interested in some of the other things they do, but they do some great work as well on, uh, on internet privacy and security. Common cause, uh, is, is really good, uh, for more of a democracy kind of a promoting thing. And they try to be very nonpartisan, uh, common cause and May Day, for instance, are, you know, trying to get money out of politics and help with campaign finance reform so that, you know, your representatives aren't you know, being swayed by large corporations making donations to their super PACs and things uh, to help them get reelected and they can represent you instead of representing money. Uh, You might look at Fight for the Future. Their kind of their big cause has been net neutrality, but they're also involved with some other really good internet causes. Uh, And some more, you know, verified voting. Uh, They are trying to help protect our elections. And ProPublica is a really good investigative journalism source that has exposed some important stories just in this last year. So anyway, those are some ideas. If you also, again, you can go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com and search on uh, thanks or donate, and you should find the article that'll have links for these and some other options you might want to consider. But one more thing, if you do, if you find that you, you can give these guys a little, a little bit of money and every little bit helps in five, 10, 20 bucks, whatever is fine. If they send you a little sticker or a hat or a t-shirt or something that goes with that, 
put it out there with pride. Make sure that other people see it as well and might spark that conversation like, hey, what's who's the EFF or uh, who's Epic and what do they do or why are you wearing that shirt? What's that mean? And that, you know, that gives them a little bit more exposure and, you know, sparks some conversations that, that are worth having. All right, number eight, switch away from, you know, less secure, less private services in favor of ones that are more secure and more private. Obviously, Facebook is at the top of my list. They are just horrible and they just keep getting worse. And we keep finding out more and more ways that they're exploiting people. And we're going to talk about some news and the news next week. We'll have even two stories. I think we'll be talking about Facebook next week. And it's just like never, never a week seems to go by when there's not some other Facebook scandal. Um, I deleted Facebook a long time ago and never looked back. I know it's hard. I know it's really convenient for keeping in touch with family members and maybe old friends. But there are, there are some other ways to do it. Unfortunately, it's really hard to find something exactly like Facebook. I'm really hoping somebody comes along and creates a better one that's privacy respecting. But I do realize that everybody's on Facebook. So if you want to talk to somebody, you got to be on Facebook. And, um, you know, if you just, if you find that you just absolutely cannot delete your Facebook account, go in and at least look at all the privacy settings and they're going to be hard to understand. They use a lot of euphemisms. They try to make it sound like it's good for you and it's really good for them. Um, so if you go to like DuckDuckGo, um, or if you go to the EFF, there's another site called Privacy Tools and Restore Privacy. Uh, these are some great websites that are independent. Uh, you can find some guides on those sites that will help you uh, in- increase your privacy uh, and turn down uh, some of the settings to so you're sharing less with Facebook and with other people and with their third-party partners. Um, so I would definitely look at at least doing that. If you can't delete Facebook, then you can at least, you know, Set the settings as best you can to preserve as much privacy as possible. Google is obviously another really big one, and it's and I'm still in the process of, of extracting myself from Google. It's not easy. I was a big early adopter on Google, and so I'm all in. I've, I've got all sorts of things. But th- there's a couple sites that I've found that I'm going to be starting to switch to away from Google that you might look at as well. Fastmail, fastmail.com uh, has email, calendar, contacts, uh, you know, those are some of the primary things that Google has and does a really good job. And it's much more privacy respecting than Google. It's not perfect, but it's way better than Google. Uh, and if you really want to kick it up a notch, there's one that I've started to use now called mailbox.org. It's out of Germany. Uh, so you'll find that some of the English, uh, instructions and whatever might be a little bit off, but they really, really respect your privacy. And they've got basically all the main things that Google has. It also has email, uh, calendaring and contacts, but it also has docs. You can, um, like Google Docs, you can create spreadsheets and word processing documents and presentation documents. And they're all word compatible. So if you send them to your friends, they can still use them, but it's much more privacy respecting. So you might want to give those a look. Uh, and then for messaging apps, WhatsApp is extremely popular. Facebook Messenger is extremely popular. Uh, you may not know that they're both owned by Facebook. And given that they're owned by Facebook, I just cannot trust them for privacy. Security, they're actually not bad. They're doing end-to-end encryption, which is great. Um, But for privacy, I just can't give them any benefit of the doubt. So for that, as always, I would recommend Signal. It's open source. It's free. uh, And their entire goal is to have a completely end-to-end secure product that respects your privacy. And I would definitely look. It's free. It's available on Mac, uh, Windows, iOS, Android, everywhere. Give it a shot. And of course, the downside is you're going to have to get all your friends and family to go to Signal as well. That's the hard part. But if you don't start somewhere, it'll never happen. So uh, give it a shot and see if you can convince some friends of yours to try it out too. And hopefully we can start migrating people away uh, from these more popular ones that are really not secure or private. 
All right, we're getting close to the end here. A couple more that a couple more tips for you. A couple more resolutions, things I would encourage you to try in the next calendar year. And number nine is to kind of get involved more. Go to go to a local town hall, and it could just be for a you know a local council thing. You know, uh, could be for a city thing, could be for a state thing or a federal. Uh, go to some of these town halls. Pick one and go to one. And, you know, if nothing else, just kind of listen in and, and, and watch democracy work and watch people ask their questions and watch your representatives respond. You know, be a little more in tune, be a little more involved, uh, a little more informed on what your representatives say uh, that they support and what they don't. Uh, you know, if you really want to get up, uh, get in there, you know, ask your own question. Ask them, you know, what are their stances on things like encryption, end-to-end encryption, or the use of facial recognition, or license plate readers, privacy re- regulations. Where do they stand on creating privacy regulations that will let you control your data more and uh, and stop this horrible free-for-all Wild West of data selling? Election security. Where do they stand on election security? Does your state have paper ballots? Are they going to implement risk-limiting audits? These are all great questions to ask your representative to find out where they stand and hopefully make you a more informed citizen when it comes time to go to the ballot box. And of course, next steps there, if you find somebody you really do like who's saying they're all the right things, then, you know, give them some money. You know, unlike every, uh, like everything today, if you donate money, yes, you're going to get on mailing lists and call lists uh, and, they, and they will be asking money for many years to come. But, you know, it's, a, it's one of the things that you just kind of suck up and do uh, when you want to support the cause. And if you really want to kick it up a notch, then maybe, uh, especially with the big election season coming up next year in 2020, you know, volunteer for one of these campaigns. Uh, if you've got some skills they need, and some of those skills just might be stuffing envelopes, donate your time to one of these campaigns. Or the other kind of fun thing you might do that you might, might not have thought about doing is uh, volunteer to work at the polls on election day, uh, either for the primary or for the, or for the general election. Uh, work at the polls, see how things work, um, watch democracy in action, you know, and Keep an eye on things. Make sure that nothing shady happens. Of course, hopefully that is not going to happen. But, you know, it's it's really interesting. If you've never done it once, then this would be a great time to do it. Uh, it's really interesting to kind of get behind the scenes and see how all these uh, how all the voting works, particularly in your state, so you understand how it works. All right, last up, and this is an easy one, or easier one, I guess, and that is to get informed. Uh, probably the easiest way to do that is maybe to like watch a documentary or read a book, uh, depending on how you like to learn things and how much time you have. Uh, let me throw a couple out at you. And if you go to the resources page on firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, you'll find a lot more. Uh, but just a couple I'll throw out here for you. A couple of books you might want to look at. Um, one is Data and Goliath by Bruce Schneier, who's been on our show. Uh, it's a really good book that kind of explains the the power imbalances created by all this data that's being collected uh, from corporations and from governments and how it really skews things and kind of it, it does a very good job of explaining these things without being super technical. Um, I, I recommend that book often. And another one, if you, you know, if you like to be entertained while you learn, uh, check out Little Brother by Cory Doctorow. Uh, it's an exciting kind of a thriller, near future, dystopian kind of a scenario where there's another terrorist attack and then our government uh, really cracks down and tries to take away you know, the last bits of privacy that we have. And it kind of goes through and it makes you understand where things really could go. It's a slippery slope uh, if we're not careful and why we need to take action now. Uh, but it's not political. It's not a polemic or anything like that. So it's it's something you want to, uh, it's entertaining. Uh, but along the way, you'll learn, you'll learn about end-to-end encryption and, and some of the things that technology that, that could be used to uh, help protect your privacy and your security. Now, in terms of documentaries, there's a couple I recommend. Um, the Great Hack 
which talks about the 2016 election and uh, Cambridge Analytica and all the other things they got into, like Brexit. And you'll be surprised to find it, how many other elections around the world they were involved in. Uh, that's really interesting. It's uh, could have been better. I think it's a little bit too focused on some of the people involved and more of a the, the personal interest side of it instead of the actual democracy destroying part of it. Um, but it's very interesting to watch, especially with this election coming up. It's good for us all to be aware of what happened. Uh, so hopefully we're not doomed to repeat that in the 2020 election. And then another one called Terms and Conditions May Apply. And this kind of explains what's buried in a lot of the terms of service that you, everyone just says, yeah, yeah, I read it, fine, accept, keep going. Uh, and then they're counting on you doing that. And what you're really giving away and what some of these companies are doing, Google and Amazon and so forth. It's kind of hard to find. Uh, if you search on Terms and Conditions May Apply, I think you can still get it on Amazon Prime. Uh, Vimeo, I think you can get it from there, though you might have to pay for it if you go to vimeo.com uh, and search for it. Uh, it may be on iTunes. It kind of moves around, so um, it may be hard to find, but it's really good to watch if you can find it. Whew. That's my top 10 list, and then some, of, of uh, things you might want to add to your list of New Year's resolutions for 2020. <laughs> All right. Wow, that actually took me longer than I thought it was going to take. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. Um, this would be a great episode to recommend to others if you think some other friends and family of yours might be interested in trying out this podcast. This would be a really good one to share. And I, uh, you know, if you want to see some of these things written down, I will probably this will probably also be the topic of this week's uh, newsletter and blog entry. So if you want to go to my website, firewallsdonestopdragons.com, uh, you should find a basically kind of a text version of this, a shorter text version of this, which will have a lot of the links to the things I talked about today. And obviously, this my book covered basically all of those things and much, much more. Uh, and, but the book has step-by-step -step instructions and pictures and everything, you know. So that would be a good companion to this if you if you want to try to work through some of those things. The book uh, will walk you through just about everything I talked about there. And speaking of the book, uh, I will soon start work on the fourth edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, and I would love to get your feedback. If there's something that uh, you'd like to see me cover in the book that I haven't already, or maybe expand coverage on some topic, then you can drop me a line at feedback at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. And if you really want to get plugged in on the fourth edition, the best way to do that is to become a patron. And if you go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search on Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, if you become a patron... Uh, at various levels, I will keep you posted on what I'm doing on a month-to-month -month basis with the book and give you other opportunities to provide direct feedback that way as well. In fact, at one of the levels of uh, patronage on patreon.com, you can actually get a free signed copy of the book as well, and it would apply to uh, the current edition as well as the fourth edition if you stay a patron long enough to get that, which hopefully will hopefully be next summer. And I'm actually looking to add some more rewards and kind of benefits to that. So keep an eye. I'm actually maybe changing my Patreon account here soon to add some more interesting ways of, of me giving back to you for you supporting my efforts. And again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search on Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. And of course, that feedback link is good for anything. Uh, if you want to give me some ideas for topics to cover here on the podcast or in the, in the blog, uh, perhaps you might want to suggest some people that I should interview. Uh, or you even want to set me up, uh, connect me with somebody to interview, I'd appreciate that as well. All feedback is welcome. And again, all you can send all of that to feedback at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. All right, that's going to do it this week. Thanks for listening, and Happy New Year's to everybody. Hopefully you have a safe New Year's Eve. And hopefully I've given you some really good ideas for things that you can put on your to-do list, your New Year's resolution list for 2020. So that'll do it for this week. Take care, everybody. Stay safe out there, and don't get caught with your garbage down.